Hello there! This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. Hello all. Hey there everybody. Greetings one and all and felicitations and happy day. Oh, happy day. <laughs> Stoat. That's right. Great tune. So we have a really, really, really unusual show today. Yeah, it's uh, like freestyle rap. But John's going to, we call him MC Light. <laughs> no, we call you MC, now that's taken, MC++. Plus <laughs> Plus. We can right. call you um, MC, MC Java. <laughs> MC Sharp. No, we have a special guest in the studio today. We do. We have, we have two special guests, one more special than the other. Who? Would you like to introduce yourself? Okay. Um, my name's Sarah, and I have my bunny here with me. Yeah. What, have... What's your bunny's name? Bunny. <laughs> oh, the, the bunny's <laughs> name is Bunny. Well, it probably yeah, has a name. original. <laughs> it probably has a name in bunny speak, but uh, we don't know it. We can't hear it. Sarah is my daughter. She's my eldest uh, offspring here. And I, I am of no relation. None whatsoever. But I, I kind of know her, and her name does not end in an H. Yeah. Normally what we do is we have a, the show, uh, we record it at my place, and uh, the kids and, and wife, um, they're so kind enough to, to clear out while we're, we're recording so that we can have some silence most of the time. But this weekend we've got uh, the kids are at home, my wife's away at a conference, and Sarah wanted to be a part of the show, and I thought that it would be a great idea to interview my, or my firstborn. Yeah, I'll have her uh, be a color commentator today. Yeah, yeah. So what's been going on in the news? Uh, Anything new, Sarah? <laughs> How's school? Good. Wait, summer. Well, yeah. Well, there are like four different teachers at my school, and I only want two of them. Yeah, Sarah's going into a new grade. What so grade are you going into? Fourth. So fourth. you like two of the four teachers, is that what you're saying? Yeah, we're yeah. not going to name names, but, but Sarah has a uh, couple of preferences. I don't think she has any influence on those teachers, but uh, she's she's kind of nervous about the next what, grade. What grade? Fourth. You're going oh, into fourth grade. You're going yeah. into fourth. Yeah. I remember fourth grade. My teacher was Miss Danella. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Washington had, School, West Utica. I had Miss Locke. Mrs. Locke. And she was, I think, the most feared and hated woman on the planet. Well, as a fourth grader. There were a few of those at that school, but I was lucky and got um, I got a lot of the teachers who were in college during the 60s. So they were products of the hippie generation. <laughs> and they were like really friendly and spacey and love and all that good stuff. Yeah. My fourth grade teacher was not a product of the 60s. She was a product of the 30s, I think. <laughs> <laughs> she was of the, the ilk where, where if you did something wrong, she was looking for the paddle. She was looking for the ruler <laughs> and your knuckles. That's right. My kindergarten teacher, Miss Albecker, was like that. Not not a nice woman at all. No. Sarah doesn't have any teachers that... That were really no. mean. No. no. I think the worst thing about your last teacher was what? Was he liked the Red Sox. There you go. <laughs> Whoa, geez, that's important. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> oh, I don't know. You know what? I want to talk about the Tour de France right now. Or, sure. as, or as Bob Roll, commentator for OLN, would say, the Tour de France. 
<laughs> the tour and, of Frank Cade. And I guess I guess the story goes like this, right? He used to ride for the 7-Eleven team in the mid-'80s, America's first big team. Uh, Andy Hampston was the captain back in the day. And Sarah's not going to know anything about this, but you can talk if you want. Okay. <laughs> um, so Bob Roll, yeah. So now he's a commentator. But anyway, when back in the 80s, when he well, you weren't born in 1986, were you? No, nope. I was born 1997. Okay. So you definitely weren't around for the 7-Eleven Tour de France <laughs> days. I thought you might remember Bob. But he um, no. he used to go to the hotels and the wait staff would be particular. He, in his words, the wait staff would be sort of rude to him because he wasn't speaking the language with the right, right accent. Kind of like people who email us and tell us we need to say things like Cabernet Sauvignon instead of Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah, I'll, I'll mention the, the wine that we're drinking later. But anyway. Yeah, so anyway... So I guess, and I'm going to confirm this for real, but I've read a few different places from a few independent sources that he says Tour de France on purpose just to make them mad now, even though he knows it should be more like Tour de France or something. As we do. Yeah, well, I don't know. He might be being the ugly American on this one. I don't know. He's from Durango, Colorado, and I have the uh, the good fortune of having a friend from Durango named Hal who's in the local cycling club, and he's good friends with Bob Roll. He rides with him when Bob's not in Paris, and, in, and he skis with him in the winter. So I'm going to call Hal Monday, and I'm going to find out if the, the Tour de France and the sort of Americanized pronunciation story is true, because he'll know. So he's from Colorado. Um, I don't know if he was born there, but he makes his residence in Durango right now. Yeah, so, which is great little town. Did he ride with uh, Kevin Costner? He did not ride with Kevin Costner. No, no. He died, didn't he? <laughs> I don't know, oh, which... wait, that was a movie. That wasn't real. I thought... <laughs> wasn't it the brother who died? The younger no, brother. No. He had the strange nosebleed disease. Kevin Costner. Well, they. It was a genetic thing in that in that movie. I think we're talking about what was it? American Flyer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like the big cycling film from the mid-80s. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin Costner had the disease. It was full-blown, and it was a genetic thing, and the brother was was afraid that he was going to get it, too. But oh, The okay. brother was the one who was the breakout rider. Ray Don was in that. Was she? Yeah. She was the uh, younger brother's girlfriend, I think. Oh. Their yeah. their team, their cycling team was called Shaver Sport. I remember that. Oh, and yeah. I remember Eddie Merckx made a cameo in the film. Did and, he? Yeah. I, see, I don't remember any of that. He, stuff. like, pulled the gun, you know, for the start of the race in, in Colorado. It was called the Heck of the West. Yeah, that's right. And um, H-E double hockey sticks yeah, of the West. H-E double toothpicks of the West. And what was interesting was it was sort of like the U.S. It was an, a national event, you know, the U.S. Right. versus Russia. And the Russian cyclists had red jerseys with hammers and sickles, and they all had beards. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I've never seen a cyclist with a full beard ever. They had know? beards on their thighs. <laughs> they did. Ew. And I remember what, the best American was a guy named Muzzin or Muzzin. That's and, right, Muzzin. And his nickname was The Cannibal, which was Eddie Merckx's actual nickname when he was riding. But anyway, I want to talk about the tour. The real tour. Sorry. Yeah. Congratulations, Floyd Landis, the eighth American in a row to win the Tour de France. And by the way, if you count the last 20 Tours de France, Americans have won 11. (laughs) It's pretty impressive. Because this is is not a sport that Americans follow or promote very heavily. Greg LeMond won his first in 86, 20 years ago. So three plus seven plus one. 11. We've won a majority of Tours de France, which really must irk some of the the people who just don't like, you know, the ugly Americans and they think we're all like the rude people that go there and, you know. Yeah, and especially because this is happening in France. Exactly. But anyway, no friend of ours lately. What I want to talk about is two days in the tour, which were epic. Okay, the tour up until the Alps 
was awful. It was boring. Landis was doing well in the mountains, but he wasn't attacking. He wasn't aggressive. He was hanging on, taking a few seconds out of people here and there, getting ahead, but not really doing it with panache. And actually, there was a French newspaper that accused him of that. You're not riding with panache, you know? Sarah, do you know what panache is? No. It's, it's like style. It's good with oh. ketchup. Flair. Like being dramatic. Yeah. Oh, okay. A little bit of style, you know? Yeah. Like if your shirt was pink and electric blue, you would you would it would have panache. If it if it was or gray, it hurt, or it would hurt my eyes. No panache <laughs> if it's gray. Yeah. So anyway, day two of the Alps rolls around, and I think day one was Alpe d'Huez, which is a, a very very famous mountain pass. But um, five hundred thousand people line the last climb. You know, crazy drinking. It's like a giant tailgate party for a week. Right, and and the guys doing those mountain stages, they're lucky to get through those crowds. Yeah, the crowd sort of disperses in front of them, but they're inches from the cyclists, yep. literally yep. inches. Yeah. Ooh, I heard the other children. Maybe they want to be on. <laughs> Actually, they are on a lot. They're, just, they're, they're, they're on. in the background. So we go to day two. You know, he had a good solid ride in Alpe d'Huez. I think he was third, and uh, he made up some time on some of his rivals. Day two in the Alps comes along, and it's five climbs. Four Category 1 climbs and one Ors Category climb, which means over category, which means it's tougher than a Category 1 climb. So Landis looks fine on the first four climbs. Say that ten times. Yeah, and then he gets to the fifth climb, which is a brutal climb, and... He runs out of gas. He bonked. And that means he's got, like, no more food in his stomach, and he's got his blood sugar is low. He's got oh. no more energy. Yeah, it's oh, a cycling so, like, term. he, like, like, he, like, blacked out or something? Well, actually, you he, do get or, a... Like, fainted? No, he didn't faint. He was he was just pedaling really slowly. He could barely turn the pedals. Oh. And the hills are really steep. They're yeah, like this. Like, really like, you know that hill down there? Yeah. Picture that for five miles. Well, <laughs> that's what these guys in the Tour de France do, or longer. Picture that for ten miles. Well, yeah, and doing that, in, and it's probably eighty degrees plus. No, it was ninety-five. Ninety-five, it was like one hundred and five on the pavement or something. <laughs> wow! Like that. And you've got a lot of people screaming around you. Yeah, yeah that's must... really tough. So Landis bonks, and it's real. As as Phil Liggett, the uh, British announcer, says, it's really sad to see the yellow jersey in that kind of desperation. He could barely turn the pedals over, and his team director was in the car next to him, just trying to cheer him on a little bit. Come on, Floyd, you know, there's another day in the mountains. I know we're not going to do good today, but we got a time trial coming up. I would have wanted to kill the guy. Like, shut up, you know? Because when you feel that bad, I've bonked on a 100-degree day, like a mile from the house, and I have one hill to climb, and it's like you can't even turn the pedals over. And he had five more miles of that climb to do. Yeah. And it was just brutal. He lost 10 minutes to the leader, 10, and he lost eight minutes to the yellow jersey because the yellow jersey finished two minutes behind the leader. That's Sudden, a lot. That's huge. Yeah. That's unrecoverable. If you lose eight minutes in the mountains, you're done. Or so they thought. Or so they thought. <laughs> so stage three in the Alps comes along. And anybody who knows anything about cycling knows if he's going to make up the time, he has to attack early. And everybody in the pro peloton, he said it. I'm going to attack on the first climb. And everybody in the pro peloton came up to him and said something. And half of it was, well, don't attack that early because you're going to bonk again. And then we're going to catch you and you're going to lose more time. And the other half of the peloton, the peloton is the group of cyclists as a uh, unit, the whole. Okay. Like when there's 100 cyclists riding together on the road, that's called a peloton. Uh, and, it, and it makes well, it I sound like a hiss, like a, it's I, like a evil. Yeah. I thought I read that. I think I read that in one of in a book I got from school. It was about Lance Armstrong. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I think I read that. 
So anyway, half of the Peloton was like, don't, it's a mistake. And the other half was like, please don't. We're tired from yesterday's stage. We don't want to work that hard because that was just grueling and brutal. Even the guys who didn't bonk, you know, Mm -hmm. didn't enjoy that last climb with the heat and and the intensity of the climb. So I think Floyd Landis's quote was, you better drink a Coke because I'm going on the first climb. Come with me if you can. (laughs) Yeah. And it's it's one of those things that's unfortunately for the American audience doesn't make great television but cycling has a lot of strategy lot more of strategy nuance. than people than people think i mean some people think that it's crazy that a whole team will try to fight to get one rider to the front of the pack and they'll all work together just so that that one rider can get to the front or they will they will uh sort of submerge their own performance so that one rider can can uh can take that role it's kind of like that in F1 too but you know, there's a lot of strategy to that. And you, well, yeah. you want the team to win. You don't necessarily want just everyone out for themselves. Yeah. Well, yeah, you want the team to win, and every team has a leader, and he's the guy the team's working for. And on, right. on Team Phonak, it was Floyd Landis. On Team Discovery and U.S. Postal, it was it was Lance Armstrong. Yep. So anyway, they're on the first climb, and a group of nine riders takes a flyer. Uh, they attack. So there's nine or ten riders out in front by three or four minutes. And the Phonak team came to the front of the peloton and started climbing at this ridiculous pace. And they were just shedding guys off the back of the pack. And, like, finally, everybody on Team Phonak blew up. They couldn't maintain that pace anymore. And they knew it was going to happen. And then um, Landis was still at the front and, and then pushed the climb even harder, and he lost everybody. He bridged the gap to that breakaway. He got he caught up to those nine riders. He hung with them for a little while, and then he took off over the next climb, and he left them in the weeds. And over the course of the next 120 kilometers, he made up uh, somewhere around seven minutes. Wow. So at the end of the day, he was only 30 seconds behind the yellow jersey again when he started 8.08 behind the yellow jersey. And mm. that's just unheard of. Nobody can do that. And it's not like the, the, the pack let him get away. I mean, they, they were a little – they just couldn't hang with him when he took off on that first climb. So he just recovered like crazy. I mean, the guy was dead the day before, and you know he probably got some glucose IVs and a lot of food and probably had a massage and uh, you know a whirlpool or something. A and bolus just, of, you know, anabolic steroids, something. I doubt it. They're testing really hard for that now. But, I mean, imagine that. How inconsistent the human body can be. He's, mm-hmm. He explodes on day one, and the next day he has the ride of his career, you know, and the recovery is amazing. So, anyway, France, uh, or France, Lant, no. What's his name? Floyd. <laughs> Flandis. <laughs> Floyd Flandis. Royd Flandis, as we joked a few years ago when he suddenly had some great Tour de France uh, numbers now. But I think yeah. I think, uh, I think uh, Lloyd is clean. Floyd. Floyd. <laughs> Floyd. Floyd the barber. <laughs> so anyway, he won in Paris today. And uh, who was second? Let's see. Oscar Pereiro, the guy they let take the yellow jersey, which I talked about last year, which mm-hmm. I thought was a big tactical error. He was uh, second. Andreas Cloden came in third, the great German rider, who was fourth. At the start of the day yesterday, but he had such a good time trial, he rode himself onto the podium, displacing Carlos Sastra, a great climber, not a strong time trialist. And uh, Carlos, unfortunately, was in fourth and off the podium. So anyway, huzzah. Go go Floyd. Well, I, I have a feeling that... Oh, and by the way, he did all of these stages in need of a hip replacement. That, that's right. He has a hard time walking. Yeah. Oh, he does? Yeah, he's getting oh. a new hip in a few weeks. So My he's in pain every mom day. My had a new hip. Do you know what a hip replacement is? You know how they do that? It's one of the most uh, brutal yeah. operations I've ever seen in my life. There's lots of saws, drills. Yeah. Yeah, they they have to take out the bone and everything, and they then like replace it with plastic or something. Titanium. Titanium usually uh-huh. composites or um, 
ceramics. Yep. Yeah. Um, Allie Giordano had her mom had that. Wow. And and you know what? The thing, the problem with hip replacements when you get them young is that the the natural hip lasts longer than the man-made hip. Well, most so chances joints, are you're going to have to get another one. Yeah, they they say the lifetime of the typical joint replacement today, be it knee or hip, is ten years. Yeah, and he's going to put more revolutions or or whatever you want to call it on that hip than a typical person who just goes to work every day and sits down with the paper at night and eats dinner and goes to bed. But it'll be interesting to see how he can recover. I mean, in his own way, maybe he can push the science and technology of joint replacement, kind of the way Lance is pushing for cancer cures and things like that. You know, maybe this is the kind of thing that'll get these guys to step into high gear to to engineer better joint replacements. That's usually how it works. You have someone on the cutting edge pushing that stuff. I mean, you, you get a lot of the... Uh, the Necessity trickle- is the mother of invention. That's right. You get the trickle-down effect from the racing teams. You get that technology going into the, the Speaking cars. Speaking of racing teams, the, the crank set on Floyd's time trial bike was made by the carbon fiber guys that do BMW uh, F1. Really? <laughs> he has this... I've never seen anything like it. I'll have to show you the picture. He has this one-piece carbon crank set with just... The only thing on it that's metal is just the outside of the... the chain ring where the chain just the touches teeth. just the teeth it's sick it is so cool i thought you were going to say it for scaled composites did that <laughs> you know scaled composites i do they uh they they build spaceships yeah spaceship one bert rutan yep bert actually we have a, a listener who was there for the launch of that no way yeah cool our favorite listener that's always arguing with you you know token libertarian and outright pain in the butt uh it's not ringing a bell hmm yeah, who's she? Anyway, we, I've been blabbing too much about this. Any uh, World Cup news? Um, yeah, Italy still won. <laughs> <laughs> Go Italy! <laughs> and that was still the headbutt of the game, you know, of the tournament. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know what's amazing to me is that Sports Illustrated has a whole huge story about the World Cup in it after the World Cup. I would won. expect that actually. And, I'm, and not, you, I'm not surprised by that. And you know why? It's not because of the great play. It's not because of the great strategy. There weren't any. You know what it was? It was because of the the controversy. So the American publication finally got with the World Cup by uh, having a guy headbutt another guy. (laughs) And if Landis just headbutted somebody, the Tour de France would have been getting more coverage here. What was he thinking? Yeah. What I'm thinking is, and this is what I was going to say before you wrapped up your report, what I think is that in a year or two, people are going to see a a different uh, set of leaders because you saw a lot of world-class riders just yanked out this year. Well, yeah, and we'll see what happens. I mean, if they're found to be using um, steroids or or some sort of sports-enhancing drugs, Mm -hmm. they're going to get a a, a suspension of some kind, I think two years. And uh, so we won't see them for a little while. But, yeah, that was definitely a shake-up. You know, you lost guys like Ivan Basso and Jan Ulrich, you know, two guys who have been second and third peren- you know, perennially. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whatever. But you know what? It was still a good tour. There were so many ups and downs in this tour. It didn't really begin till the Alps. I mean, they went through the Pyrenees, and things were just kind of boring. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. You, know? you don't go. think there was a shadow o- over the whole... Event yeah, but that, I, t- I talked about that two weeks ago. You know, the sort of the ad, the Rich Wilgus asterisk, you know, even though they weren't. Yeah, but what are you going to do? You know, who was there? A bunch of riders and they still raced and somebody won. We oh, can, I, think, we, I think it's I think it's great that, that Landis won because he did a, a, a phenomenal job based on what you're, you're saying. I didn't watch a lot of it. But, he's a uh, strong rider. I mean, he can climb with the best of them. He was definitely the strong, even though he, 
ignoring the bonk, he was the strongest climber there this year, the most consistent performer. His time trial yesterday was third place. He could have done a little better, but I think he backed off at the end. He had the best time through the first or second, first two time checks, I think. And then, you know what? Why crash? He got the lead he needed over Pereiro, and you don't want to crash. Well, why you mess still want to hit, yeah, too? You don't want to. You want to win the Tour de France still. So I think he backed it down a notch. I was hoping he'd win that stage. But he did win the stage where he attacked. Again, so he, it's all strategy. He, he, he took a stage. Are you bored? No. <laughs> he took the stage, which is cool. Because if a Tour de France winner doesn't win at least one stage, it's not as convincing. People are it's like, eh, they whine, you know. Well, you it's kind of like NASCAR. You get, you get points. Sarah is bored. No, I'm not. You, you get points in NASCAR for consistency. You don't necessarily have the, the top... Race winners getting the championship for the year. Yeah. Well, anyway, let's play a tune. Yeah, let's play a tune. What do we got first? We've got uh, a hairband, 80s hairband, as John called him, and he hates this song. I uh, I tracked this entire record, but I did not mix it. So if you don't like the mix, don't blame me. But yeah, we got some hate good is a on. strong word, though. Well, yeah. But anyway, this is a band called Axis Y, which later changed their name to The Axis Y, which later changed their name back to Axis Y. And they're from Pennsylvania. And this is a song called Summer's Sun. Under electric lights, faith seems so far away. Isolated from all the pain, is this true?
Yeah. Rock on, bro. I like Ed. His voice was a little hoarse towards the end of the session, so his voice is a little hoarse in this song, but I think the guy sings with a lot of feel. Really like those guys. He plays bass in the band, the singer. I just think the style of music isn't, you know, what what catches me. It's got that Bon Jovi kind of feel. Yeah, and what am I looking at? The poster of Bon Jovi on John's wall. Hello. Hey, you know what? I live with a Bon Jovi fan. <laughs> I'm not a Bon Jovi fan. Yeah, I believe him. What are we drinking today anyway? Yeah, this is something that you brought. So why are you asking me? This is uh, this is something in... in um, because you always introduce the wines. In, uh, that's true. All but once, actually. It's in honor of the tour. This is, the, I think, the first French wine that we're having it on is. the show. And I did it, yes, an American won the tour, but we're, we drink American wines all the time. We drink Napa and Washington wines all the time. So I thought it was time to try a French uh, a French uh, van. Okay, so I'm going to destroy the name purposefully. <laughs> purposefully? Yes. I misunderestimate you. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, Chateau Au Grand Paris. And it is a Chateau Au Grand Paris 2003 Bordeaux Superior. <laughs> Chateau au Grand Paris. Yes, it is a it's a blend. It's got seventy five percent Merlot, twenty percent Cab, and five percent Cab Franc. There you go. And uh, it's not I'm, bad. I'm not a huge fan of Merlot, and, and I can definitely tell it's it's got mostly Merlot in there, but uh, it's not bad. Now, as I said, it needs more of the Cab juice, but I <laughs> it tried grows it. on me. I mean, I've I've had like I think a glass and a half now, and it's pretty good. Yeah, and in uh, in honor of the Tour de France, we're drinking French wine. They they're kind of known for their wines. They grow a couple of grapes over there, don't they? I think that they've done it once or twice. Yeah, they know a little bit about that. They have champagne. John, John asked me why it wasn't a Mouton Rothschild, but I don't even think they have that at the liquor store that I shop at. So Yeah, you need to, to ask for it. They pull it out of the back room. So, Sarah, seen any movies lately? Uh, yeah. What 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 have you seen? Uh, the last movie I've seen was probably Over the Hedge. Well, I don't know that. That's that animated film. Yeah. It's but hedge is appropriate because we're going to play a song that has the word hedge in it later. That's right. Well, what have you seen lately, John? I saw Millions, and Sarah saw that a while ago, but I rented it and uh, watched it last night. How is it you didn't see it together? Well, we rented it, and I didn't get around to watching it, but Sarah watched it when I was at work. And then I rented it again so that I could see it. I saw it uh, about a year ago. Good yeah. film. Yeah, interesting. I think that the... Uh, I'm not going to say a ton about it, but uh, interesting film... I a think, lot of top ten lists again. I think for me, the most interesting thing was that it was made by the same director as Train Spotting, and this was nothing like Train Spotting. This was a, a sweet kind of film about uh, a, a kid who's in the, the UK, and his he and his brother and his father they they move into a, a new house. Um, the father, I think, is a, a building maintenance kind of guy, and uh, the kid is. Um, in a situation where he is mourning his mother, but not mourning uh, his mother in the way that uh, a normal kid would, I would think. He's he's seeing saints. He's actually seeing apparitions of saints. And throughout the entire movie, you can't tell if, if the saints are real, if it's a figment, or it's his coping mechanism. But I think it's pretty effective. Uh, you find out near the end if it's real or not, but... Um, it's it's a, it's a sweet film about a family trying to cope, but the, the one little piece of uh information that they throw in, the, in into the mix i guess that would be the uh the plot device is uh he he happens upon a bag full of about 200 and something 250,000 british pounds sterling money moolah yeah. millions out of nowhere it just appears it just falls into his lap literally well actually it like 
a train went by and then it like went over and landed yeah, like on landed clubhouse. on their on their cardboard box clubhouse, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah but he See? doesn't he doesn't know where it came from. It, no, it just it landed. Just fell from his perspective, it fell from the sky. It's a gift right. from it's yeah. a gift from God a, or something. Yeah. yeah. But it actually came from a train. But it came somebody, from the train. Okay. Somebody threw it. It did. Yeah. Money many, many train. bags were thrown off the train yeah. that day we later learned. Yeah. The heist. Yeah. See, I'm I'm already showing people that I'm I'm raising a realist. Someone who doesn't uh, go with the flow, so to speak. Sarah go tries with the flow, man. Go You're with a real flow. downer. I'm trying to. Okay. <laughs> so anyways, yeah, I think it's a, it was a sweet film. Um, I heard a lot about it beforehand, so maybe my expectations were a lot higher than, than they should have been. Um, and I was expecting something a little bit more edgy because I knew who the director was. Definitely wasn't edgy. I saw yeah. it a year ago at, at the MWPIA.org, and uh, I thought it was great. I thought it was definitely sweet. You know, it had a few plot holes like we kind of talked about before. Why rip the film apart? It's a great film. It made a lot of top tens for a reason. Definitely gives gets my thumb. Oh, it, it is. It's one of those films that even though I saw some plot holes and, and there was some, some uh, I don't know, inconsistencies or maybe things were a little bit sugar-coated, I literally was a little misty here and there throughout the movie. I mean, No, you? Yeah, me. So that, it, it really did Teary-eyed. touch me. Your it dad was, was crying during this film? Yeah, did you ca- Did you witness any of that? No. No, okay. Yeah, I cleaned out all the Kleenex. <laughs> That's one when I, when I needed one a minute ago. You didn't have one, and I had to use the abrasive paper towel. There's Kleenexes over there. <laughs> oh, yeah, there are. <laughs> I guess I didn't notice those, and your dad didn't know about them. I don't know about them. Or whatever. I cleaned him out. <laughs> it's my stash. It's, it's next to his From the Earth to the Moon VHS uh, box set. That's right. It, For real, actually. I'm looking at it. There's, and it's right next to my kerosene-powered lamp. That's right. Your kerosene-powered record player. That's oh, right. and by the way, Todd, if you're listening, yes, those guitars, the acoustics in that song were tuned Nashville. Wow. Uh-huh. That's obscure. So anyways, Millions, I think people should uh, should definitely rent it if they get a chance, or if it's on pay-per-view, or if it falls into their lap like that bag of cash. Yep. Definitely take a look at it. It's definitely worth it. And and the the best part about the, the, the entire movie, I think, were the performances of the children. Amazing. Phenomenal. Amazing. That reminded me of a film called Coming to America, I think it was called, a film with Jaimin Hansu and these two amazingly sweet little girls. Saw that film. Talk about bringing a tear to your eye when she was singing, what was it, El Dorado, that Eagles yeah. tune. Oh, my. And then when the, and at the end when they were, they, they the family had lost a, a child and the, the kids had to remind the parents, you're not the only ones who lost somebody in this family. I was like, oh, my God. Everybody at Munson was balling. It was unbelievable. But anyway, that's a great film, too. Coming yeah, to we should talk about that later. Yeah, maybe we'll watch that again and uh, do a, a homework thing on that. Sure. So did you like Millions, Sarah? Yeah, it was good. And what did you like about it? Well, I like, like when they were in the bathroom, they were like talking about like how the money like, got to the kid. And how, oh, that's right. Yeah, they they, they were the doing bathroom. that whole sequence where they were yeah. reenacting the whole heist. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the reenactment of the heist. Yeah. They, they were at the school bathroom and, and uh, the kids at their at their new school were, were talking about the, the news that they heard about the heist. Yeah. That was that was pretty cool. Bad guys. Those guys bad were guys. bad guys, too. They were yeah. mean. It was an ingenious heist. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So let's let's interview your daughter real quick and then play a tune. Yeah. So what's your favorite subject? What's your favorite subject? In school? In school. Uh, Probably science. Science. What do you like about science? Well, I just like, like 
putting things together and seeing what happens. That doesn't sound like anybody I know. <laughs> Nothing like me. Now, Sarah and I share quite a few traits. She likes to tinker. She's pretty crafty. She's very creative. And you know what she's doing this summer? Um, sitting here with us. She's playing baseball. Yeah. Yep. All your kids are, right? That's right. They're all on the same team. What's the team, Sarah? Devil Rays. Tampa Bay Devil wow. Rays. I walked in the house uh, last weekend, and there were, like, baseball gloves everywhere. There was <laughs> pine tar and, I mean, you know. Steroids. <laughs> there was Well, yeah, to play baseball, you definitely need those. No. There was rosin bags and gloves and donuts Chaw. for the bats and, yep, chewing tobacco. It's like, yeah, I don't know if that. Water if coolers so know. they can hit when they come off the, the plate. Or they can throw. That's right. You know, I, I don't know if some of the stuff john has out here for the kids is appropriate i mean it's great for baseball but you know not for someone how old are you uh nine not in years yeah how many is that to a dog i don't know okay cat don't know okay well i don't know the answer to those either what is it dog seven cats nine i don't know about cats but dogs is definitely seven ish i think it starts out and it's like a curve well let's play this other tune Yes. What do we got in now? What do we got? What do we got? What do we got? This is Over the Hedgehog. No, I'm sorry. It's Hedgehog. Hedgehog by the Amanda Monaco Four, or as they are sometimes known, the Amanda Monaco Quartet. Let's check it out.
cool tune. How could you not like that stuff? They, that's cool. Re, you know what kind of music that is? Do you know what that's called? What style? Jazz. There you go. <laughs> that's that's my what girl. I'm talking about. That's like the real deal. They can play and they groove. Three seconds into that song, you're just moving because it's swinging, you know? Yeah, it's definitely not a song that uh, if I was on the Podsafe Music Network, I'd be gonging anytime soon. No, and we did get that from the Podsafe Music Network. That's right. And it's head and shoulders above the stuff, most of it, if not all that. We, we gonged <laughs> that day and didn't gong even, you know? Yeah, even if I didn't know who it was from, I definitely would have given a, a closer listen. Yeah, phenomenal. Love it. Anyway, I want to do a quick uh, review of a film I saw at Munson called 12 in Holding. Um, reminded me a little bit of a film uh, I know you've seen called uh, Stand uh, By Me. Oh, yeah. Little 12-year-old coming-of-age film kind of thing. River Phoenix. River Phoenix. Wesley Crusher. Uh, uh, what was that? What was the the fat kid? Who was, he became a pretty famous actor. He's And he lost all the weight. Yeah, he was yeah, in... Uh, Jerry. I can't remember his last name now. Right, right. Well, and it's interesting. Um, this film reminded me a lot of that film, but it's way, way, way more intense. It's an R-rated film, certainly not appropriate for children. Sarah, close your ears. No, my review will be fine. It's a Michael Cuesta film, 2005, 94 minutes. How can I explain this film? There's a group of friends, Rudy and Jacob, they're twin brothers, except one of them has that sort of port wine stain on his face. Oh, yeah. So he has, like, the big birthmark. Yep. And it has traumatized him because, well, as you can imagine, when you're that young and you have that kind of birthmark, you know, other kids are making fun of you. Sure. So he's not as outgoing as his other brother. Uh, and there's two other friends. There's Lee, who is played by Zoe Weisenbaum, really, really, really talented little actress, a lot like... Um, Dakota Fanning or something, just wise beyond her Precocious. years. Yeah. And there is the obese kid also. Sorry. And uh, his name is Leonard. Well, it turns out one of the twin boys dies in this horribly tragic on-purpose accident because they have this, like, treehouse in the woods, and the local neighborhood punks who live in the trailer park don't like the fact that the other guys have a treehouse, and they say they're going to wreck it. And then something happens, something traumatic. And what this film is about is how the remaining three kids – uh, deal and cope with the death of of a friend that they love because you know when you're 12 you probably haven't even had a grandparent die yet and yep. that's pretty traumatic and I'm not actually going to go into the film that much in terms of the details because I really think you should just see it and I I definitely recommend it. There's some unlike Stand by Me. Stand by Me is sort of that little road trip they take mm-hmm. to find the body in the woods or whatever it was, right? right. Yep, that's exactly what it was. We don't know that much about their families except what the kids share with one another in the woods. This film, we go home with all the families. May Lee uh, lives with her mom. Her mom and her dad are divorced. The mom, who's a therapist, she's a psychologist, has all this anger towards the dad, you know, and it's showing up in her relationship with the daughter. And the the, the family of twins, by the way, it was one actor who played both the kids, I think. Really? Was, yeah, it was done really well. And um, the that family deals with it in a different way, and the obese kid deals with it by uh, just going on a weight loss mania you know i mean he wants to play for his football team so his coach gives him a book on nutrition and a book on exercise and he just dives in head first into like weight loss and fitness and he does some really funny things with his family because they're that sort of ugly american family that just sits around and eats all day and they're not very active and they just they just 
the, you know, their diets are wrong. So subsequently they gain a lot of weight. But anyway, I definitely recommend this film. Really powerful. Big surprise at the end. Totally was not expecting it. Not expecting it. And so what uh, happened? I'm not going to tell you. No surprises? No. I'm going to no let spoilers. you rent the film. It's called 12 and Holding, Ken, <laughs> for our friends who uh, are old and don't remember things. 12 and Holding. Is, is that significant? Can you spoil the reason why it's called that? Probably because they're all 12 and holding. I don't get it. Yeah, me either. Okay. But anyway, definitely check it out. Really, really wonderful film and uh, definitely recommend it. So anyway, I think that's a show. It's man, too I late have no now. choice. Can't stop no it turning now. back. Yep. This is our end credits music, Sarah. This is how you know the show's over because it goes auga auga. Ah. Well, I'd like to thank my little girl Sarah for joining us. Did you have fun? Yes. You want to talk more next time if you do it again? Okay. Okay. Well, I also want to thank Bunny. Yep, Bunny's here. What do you have to say for yourself, Bunny? Yeah, well, I agree. <laughs> That's what most bunnies say. Yeah, it's true. She's anyway, this is Rich Wilgus. And this is John Tellerico. And, and this is... Sarah Tellerico. And uh, you've been listening to the Bloodthirsty Vegetarians. Check us out on the web, www.bloodyveg.com. Send us all sorts of good stuff to feedback at bloodyveg.com. And remember, you're listening to V-I-B. Bloody Veg.